Welcome to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast. A series of honest conversations about opportunities, challenges, and joy in ministry today. These episodes are inspired by interactions with ministry leaders from across the country. As they explore possibilities, learn from broad perspectives, take risks, and cultivate candid discussions that generate disruptive creativity. Hello, everyone. This is Jennifer Watley Maxell, and I am absolutely thrilled today to be joined in conversation with two women that I have come to respect and admire, Reverend Sheila Beckford and Dr. Michelle Letter. They have written a book that I think is so appropriate and just so helpful and so necessary for this moment that we're in right now. It's called Anti-Racism for Reals, the number four, R-E-A-L-S, in case you're Googling it as we're talking. And I wanted to talk about it because it's just such a practical way for us to engage in this work of anti-racism. And so the first thing I want to do is just have them tell you a little bit about themselves and how they came to this work and how they have found their way to this work of writing this book as well. Uh, Sheila, can you go first? Sure. Thank you. Thank you so much for this invitation and this opportunity. I have to say it was divine intervention that Michelle and I met one another. I serve in my conference in the United Methodist Church. I serve on two boards. One is the Commission on Religion and Race and also Black Methodist for Church Renewal. And I am very active in making sure that anti-racism work is done within our conference. And someone said to me, oh, you should meet Michelle Letter, and you would really like her. And I said, okay, let me check her out. Checked her out online. And I was like, this is a white woman. Why do you think I'm going to like her? (laughs) No, they were like, she does the same type of work that you do. And I said, so you telling me a white woman's going to tell me how to approach anti-racism work? And so I didn't reach out to her or anything of that nature. And then some transpired at a special general conference 2019 that took place to actually advocate for an oppressed group within our denomination. And a group of people who was a part of this justice organization within the United Methodist Church actually were perpetrators of racialized harm. Mm -hmm. And it was towards me and other black members within our denomination. So Michelle was asked to mediate between us and this group. And when I met her, I was like, hi, yeah, I was told about you. And I I gave her the story about what I said and everything. And she just laughed and she was like, okay, understandable. (laughs) When we went into the meeting, we realized that we have similar styles. The way that we view this work and how we approach this work was very similar. We complimented each other within that meeting. And from that point on, I was like, okay, we're going to be friends. And we talked later on, and Michelle can tell you the rest. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you also for having us. It is a pleasure for us to be with you. After we went through that meeting with that justice-based group, we were having conversations about the work that she was doing 
in her conference and the types of work that she was setting up for folks to be able to participate in. So working for GCOR, which is the General Commission on Religion and Race, which was the global version of where she was serving in New York, we were developing different courses. And I was developing, a, for lack of a better term, anti-racism 101 multi-session workshop. And in doing so, when I was speaking with Sheila about it, we realized that we were trying to do the same thing. The racialized terror murders of 2019 and 2020 had occurred. There was a lot of momentum behind getting this work done and into different organizations and institutions. And Sheila wanted to jump on board with the momentum that was happening with her group. And G-Corps was trying to pilot some of these sessions. And so what we decided to do was collaborate together. And we co-facilitated these sessions in a beta group kind of thing. And again, we realized that the way that we went about doing this work was very similar. Certainly, we were coming at it from our own racial positionality, but the approach, the methodologies that we were using, the methods that we were using were pretty similar. And it was almost like a side comment during one of the post-session debriefs. Sheila says, you know, we should write a book. And I was like, huh, you know, I have a contact with one of the publishing houses. We could probably submit a pre-proposal and see if they're interested. And one of the reasons that we talk about our meeting being divinely orchestrated in some way is because from the time that we had that little offshoot conversation to the time that we signed our publishing contract was maybe two and a half months. The back and forth, the response from the publisher was immediate. And things just moved so quickly. And this book was published in less than a year, just under a year from the time of our contract. So there's a couple of things that I want to kind of back up and highlight in the story that the two of you have shared. One is I want to name, Sheila, the very real visceral response that you had when you said, what is this white woman going to tell me about doing this work? And I really appreciate you saying that because I think for a lot of us who are people of color, who are doing this work and are involved that's such a reality in terms of how we respond when we're looking to collaborate. And when people who are not from our same ethnicity or economic background or whatever it is that we're coming from, come from. And I appreciate you naming because one of the things that I believe is that this is work that everyone needs to do. Everyone, no matter what your racial background is, whatever, needs to be involved in and needs to do going forward. And so can you just tell me a little bit about how other than just your working together, you were able to create space for a genuine relationship to form with Michelle? Sure, I'm pretty direct, I'm a pretty direct person. And uh, Michelle is the same way. And whenever Michelle would say something that I know will trigger, <laughs> I'll speak for only black people, will trigger us. I'll say, Michelle, you cannot say that because you're not going to get a good response from black people if you make that comment. And I will explain it to her and she will be like, okay, I got it. And she also would explain to me, if I say something like the word dehumanized, 
she would say, oh, from a white person reading that, this is how I understand that. Mm-hmm. And I say, well, from a black person saying it, this is how black people and other BIPOC people will take this and understand it. Really, I'm not writing for white people to understand it. I'm writing for my base to understand it. So that was the way that we began to communicate. Even in the writing, there were sometimes she was like, oh, wait, I understand this as X, Y, and Z. Do you really mean it this way? And I would look at it again, and sometimes I'll change it because I want to communicate to everyone reading the book at that point. So that's the type of relationship we have. I really love that. And Michelle, what you said that I I really appreciated was the collaborative nature of the way you all work together. I think it's so powerful because I think a lot of times when we come to this work, Some of us come from a position of I'm coming as the teacher, for lack of a better word. And then somebody else comes as I'm coming as the student, which I think is a particular type of relationship that works when it comes to some things. But I really love the fact that you're really leaning toward this collaborative way of working together where everyone has a voice, everyone has something to bring to the table, and everybody has work to do. Can you tell me how you were able to kind of work through that from your perspective as you were writing the book? Sure. I think part of it has to do with how we would say anti-racism functions. Mm -hmm. So the way that we talk about it is that BIPOL people are going to be the folks who create or co-sign the strategies. White folks, we're going to be the people who enact all of the strategies except those that have been set apart only for BIPOL people. And then on the other end of it, trying to see whether or not we've been faithful or accountable to that work has to be from the perspective of BIPOL people. Because BIPOL people are the direct targets of racism, y'all are going to be the folks who are best suited to recognize racism when it happens and also to recognize the strategies that will actually work. And I think part of the work that I try to concentrate on and that we talk about white folks doing is leaning into that part of the work rather than trying to control everything or be in charge of creating everything. Our work is to enact anti-racism. And there's no place that we can come from our own whiteness into anti-racism without some sort of information or interruption or some sort of education that happens. So once we take that stance and realize that we are the folks that enact the work that has been co-signed by BIPOL people or created by BIPOL people, it places us in a position to be able to understand our role in it. That's so powerful. And I really appreciate that. I do want to get to the book because I think it's so powerful and incredible and useful. And I really hope that our listeners will purchase the book and will read it and will enact some of the strategies that you have in it. So can you tell me this whole, when I first, you know, looked at the book, I saw you post it on social media, on Facebook, and the title originally got me with the four reels, R-E-A-L-S. So what is this four reels business you are talking about? So four reels is basically our methodology. We have four reels. So we have real talk, real strategies, real time, and real change. And so each of these four reels is essential. They can't live without the others. So we have this thing where we talk about real talk. 
Real talk is exactly what we said. Real talk. We are just giving it to you straight. We're not sugarcoating it. We are giving you information or dialogue, right? So if you're talking to me, you're going to get what you see is what you get. And real talk highlights racism. It challenges the racism as well. And it replaces it with anti-racism language and strategy. So, Michelle, you can go on with the other one. I don't want to take it all up. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Real strategies is the action now learning engagements. Everything is centered around action. We start with real talk because without real talk, we're not going to have anything else. But real strategies is what centers the work. Everything just falls apart if you're not enacting anti-racism. So we have to get into the action. And we believe that every single person can be doing anti-racism work right now. There's an entry point for every person, and there are action now learning engagements throughout the whole book. Real time is based in the reality that racism happens in real time. So anti-racism also must happen in real time. So in the book, we talk about role plays and strategies and practicing how you can speak through different things or how you can address certain things so that you're prepared when it happens. One caveat to that is that we don't replicate the racism in role plays. We only replicate anti-racism. We don't want to perpetrate more harm. We just want to get to the place where we're able to interrupt and dismantle racism. And then real change is the accountability strategies. There are templates, there are checklists, there are protocols, there are all different kinds of strategies that have to do with whether or not we're actually doing the work of anti-racism. Has it actually happened? This is where the rubber hits the road and all of the talk we've been doing and whatever sessions we've been attending come to a head right there. Is racism being interrupted and dismantled and how can we evidence that? Wow, that's so powerful. I think in particular, what resonates with me so deeply, the whole idea of real time, because I think what happens is so many times we experience or see or we hear of an incident and we kind of get that deer in the headlights. We don't know what to do. We don't know how to respond. Our emotions kind of take over and we just end up doing nothing. And so I love the idea that you are focusing on strategies and interventions that allow people to be prepared, recognizing that something's going to happen. I think sometimes our want for things to be different than they are says, oh, well, you know, now that we've done all this stuff and now that we're at this point, racism's over and and we're not going to have to deal with this anymore. But what we know is, yeah, we're still going to have to deal with it. It's still happening. And so the idea of preparing people to be able to do this work when it comes time to do it, but then also the accountability piece, which I think is so incredibly important. And frankly, I think the real time and real accountability portions are what I think in my opinion, separates your book from a lot of the other books that are out there. We know that we're in a moment where there's so many anti-racism books that are on the market and so many different perspectives. I've given you my perspective. What's your perspective? Why should people go out and buy your book in addition to some of the other books that are out there? I'll start, Michelle, real quickly. Our book is very unique in that it gives you practical learning engagements. It helps you to prepare for what may come. And it helps you to prepare for what's happening right now. 
There is not one day as a BIPOC person, Black, Indigenous, Pacific Islander, Asian, Latinx, that we do not experience racism. Not one. And BIPOC people, we expect it. And because we expect it, we accept it. And we do not push back because we don't know how because we have been conditioned to expect and accept. And so this book helps us to prepare ourselves to combat, right, and dismantle and dislodge and interrupt racism at that time. And it helps you to learn how to remove the logic system of racism and replace it with the logic system of anti-racism. I'll just say that there are over 135, I think, strategies listed in the Appendix B that allow you to track through the whole book different strategies that you can use right away. We say all the time, every single person can do anti-racism right now should we choose to commit to doing it. And I think the practicality of this book, it's set up like a workbook. You can write in it, you can make notes, you can track the different things that you're doing. And I think the practicality of being able to start right now, not to have to wait, but to have practical and concrete strategies that you can use right now as you're learning helps people get out of the workshop hoarding methodology where just one more session and I'll be able to do something or do it better or do it differently or what have you. So using those entry points makes this book immediately accessible. Yeah, I think one of the thing that's so powerful about the book is that, you know, there's this saying, when you know more, you do more. And the reality is that's not true. How many of us know people that have umpteen degrees and have been to how many workshops and conferences and they have so much information and yet they don't turn that into practical action. So I really appreciate the fact that you're not taking that for granted, that you're saying whether you know more or not, you can still do more, you can still do what's necessary, and you can still be a part of this work going forward. We could sit here and talk about this all day, but we don't have all day. So I just want to thank you both so much for one, writing the work for doing the collaborative relationship building to even get the work done, for making it happen to present it to us so that all of us who are listening, who are serious about doing this work and continuing to do it, can do it and do it in a way that will affect positive change. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us, Jennifer. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast a project of the Macedonian Ministry Foundation. The Ministry Collaborative nurtures a national network of pastors and congregations committed to faithful, creative, and courageous engagement in their communities. Our producer is Marthane Sanders. To find out more about our work of cultivating leadership that makes a difference in congregations and communities, visit our website at www.ministrycollaborative.org.